This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Insiders Podcast, presented by Commerce Bank, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC Gig-Powered Studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to a special edition of the PowerCat Insiders Podcast, brought to you by 24-7 Sports. And today, we're going to talk about the Big 12 Tournament coming up this week in Kansas City at the Sprint Center. It's been an interesting season in Big 12 basketball. We are joined by our basketball analyst, Jay Heydrich, and 24-7 Sports' own Kevin Flaherty. And joining me here in the WTC Gig Pirate Studios in downtown Manhattan, Kansas, GoPowerCat.com basketball beat writer Riley Gates, and I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com. Boys, first of all, let's start with Kansas. At the start of the year, I thought this was an okay Kansas team that was flawed a little bit and subject to probably not finishing first, not regaining their grip on this conference. And after they lost at home to Baylor, Kevin, they flipped a switch. And this team down the stretch, particularly after the win over Kansas State, was as dominant as a Kansas team's been in a long time. Sure, and I think more than, you know, when you think of dominant, I think you think of a, a team ceiling a lot, and you think about, you know, hey, this team is really capable of putting it on somebody. And I think this year's Kansas team is kind of interesting in that I think the floor is a lot higher than some of the really good Kansas teams that we've had, which is the reason why uh, they were able to go 17-1 and in conference play. Kansas has had more talented teams. Kansas has had arguably you know, better teams. Uh, when you look at, you know, the Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Josh Jackson team from a, from a few years ago. But at the same time, I'm not sure Kansas has had many teams like this year's team where there wasn't really much of an off night to be had. You know, it was a team that you knew coming in, Devon Dotson was going to drive to the rim, and you knew that Kansas was going to try and get Yudoka Azubuki the ball around the rim. And while the shooting kind of came and went a little bit, that that was sort of the formula throughout it, and it was – it wound up being a, a pretty good formula. They didn't have many, if any, really bad games over the course of Big 12 play, which is why they had that 17-1 and conference record. Jay Heydrich, if I give you a really good point guard that can break down a defense, enough pieces around him, including a great defender and a big man who both can defend the rim on one end and then just be relentless in scoring on the other end, I'm probably giving you a team that has a shot at a national title. Yeah, but you're, I think you're leading that one key part of that, and that's the coach. And I think that that's year in, year out is what drives Kansas. Is Bill Self's just 
better than almost anybody else. I mean, you look at the way not only the way he gets his teams to play, but the schemes that he that he employs with it. Um, and th- to me, what sets this Kansas team apart from years past is I, I I agree with Kevin. I don't think it's just as talented as some of the other teams in the past, but they are just incredibly disciplined on both ends of the floor. Um, they they have a bunch of guys who are buying in and doing what they're asked to do um, to help the team, which may or may not be what they want to do uh, for the team. And there's a difference there. You know, everyone has a role on a team. They're not equal, but they're all important. And and I think the way Self has utilized Dotson and Azubuki um, to be able to use a high pick and roll and then be able to put shooters in the corners and create spacing, that just creates so much pressure on the offense. So on the defense, they've really changed how they defend the on-ball screens. They don't want you to re- reverse the ball at all. Um, they make you drive at Azubuki, and he's lost so much weight, and, he, and he's so much more mobile this year. Um, and so, you know, you can have great players, but if you don't get someone to organize them and buy them in, uh, you're still going to have flaws. And I think that it's just it's a unique blend where KU does have some talented players, may not be as talented as you've seen in the past, but they've got a lot of talent out there. But, again, it's, it's Bill Self and, and his schemes and the way he demands um, players buy in and, and, uh, and, and, and gets the most out of his kids. I think it's really driving the train this year. Well, and that's, that's for me, why I was so shocked uh, on Sunday to find out that, that Scott Drew had been named the Big 12 Coach of the Year. And, you know, not to totally divert the point, I'm sure we'll get to, to Big 12 awards here in a minute, but and Bill Self did a remarkable job this year, like Jay said, getting guys to buy into their roles, getting them to accept them fully. The, the guys that headline it, Devon Dotson, Yudoka Azubuki, I mean, they're going to be those guys that really grab the eyes. But he even got, he got players, you know, like a Marcus Garrett to be extra special this season and to go 17 and one to go nine and zero on the road I, I think that was just a remarkable job by Bill Self I really kind of thought you know when you sit and think about it maybe Bill Self I, I don't really know what else Bill Self could have done to win the award I understand why some people voted for for Scott Drew but I think if you give me a vote it probably would have gone to Bill Self he's done like Jay said a remarkable job well let's dig into these awards a little bit I was intrigued by him as a bookie was the Big 12 Player of the Year, and I think as the season went on, we just saw how dominant he's become. That weight loss has just been huge for him. He really looks like a totally different player. I like that choice. I understand why they voted Scott Drew the Coach of the Year. I would not have voted that way. I, too, would have voted for Bill Self, so I was a little bit surprised. Marcus Garrett very deservingly was the Defensive Player of the Year, but Kevin, he was only third team. And I know you want to be fair to teams and get everyone up there. Marcus Garrett deserved to be on the second team, period, end of story. Yeah, the the two that I that I thought were, were kind of strange was I think Mark Vidal wound up also being third team and, uh, and Marcus Garrett being third team. Those were the two that I kind of had a little bit of an issue with. I understand it, it's tough when you're talking about you know, somebody like, say, Jemias Ramsey at Texas Tech because, you know, he is the the leading scorer and the guy that the team's game plan for sort of night in and night out. And I, I understand it's tough to contrast that type of guy against somebody that a lot of people would call a really good role player in Marcus Garrett with what he does because he does have, have those other two stars around him. But I think, too, you know, one of the ways that, that I've always looked at it, Fitz and Riley, I don't know that everybody – else always looks at it this way but one of the things that I've always looked at is what happens specifically within Big 12 play the whole season counts but I try to put 
more of an emphasis on, on what happens, you know, within the league season. And I think when you do that in particular, Marcus Garrett really stands out because he had, you know, that stretch where not only was he so dominant defensively, but he became Kansas's best point guard with Devon Dotson, you know, sort of sliding off the ball. Marcus Garrett, you know, leading that team in assists and really serving to create for other guys. And so based on what he did specifically within Big 12 season, I, I probably would have had him second team as well. Yeah, uh, Jay, Garrett just really pulls things together. This is a really good defensive team for Bill Self. They typically are, but this team is special because they do have a rim protector that's healthy, and then they can take the chances on the outside, and Garrett is really good about poking that ball away and taking it for easy points. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, we – we joke a lot that, you know, the three things that are certain in life this year are death, taxes, and K-State going five minutes without a field goal in a basketball game. <laughs> um, KU does that to everybody. They did it to K-State, but they, they did that to everybody. And this, you know, as, as many offensive weapons as they have, I don't think this is a particularly great offensive team for KU. Azabuke, you know, as, as dominant as he can as he can be, he's very limited offensively. If, if he can't dunk the ball, he's not going to score it. And there are a lot of kids who sh- – stepped up to make big shots at different times for KU, but I wouldn't say outside of Brown that they have a great shooter. And Dotson is a great playmaker, but I don't know that I'd put him in the same breath as uh, some of the other point guards that KU's had in the past, uh, like a Devontae Graham as far as a score. So uh, this isn't a great offensive team, but you know they're, they're good. And when you're, when you're a good offensive team and an excellent defensive team, you know, KU's just outscored people in years past. Um, haven't been great defensively in various times, but they've outscored them. And this year, I think more times than not, you could say that they haven't been great offensively, but their defense is what carried them to a lot of wins. Riley, we know this is a good team for Kansas, but I'm going to bring this up. Is it in part the reason they cruise through this conference is that the bottom eight teams are a muddled mess of mediocre teams that can play well at times, but overall they are what they are. 500 teams in the conference at best. Yeah, you can't deny that. I, you know, whether you're a KU fan, a K-State fan, a Texas fan, look, Texas got smacked by Iowa State, and a lot of people thought that Shaka Smart was going to get left on the tarmac. And then they go and rattle off five straight wins, uh, two of them over ranked opponents, four of them by double digits, and they had a chance to be the number three seed in the Big 12 tournament. I mean, I think that they, now they got hot. Don't get me wrong. They were playing really good basketball, but they did not play – more good basketball than bad basketball. They were not a very good team this year, and yet here they are on that 4-5 line with Texas Tech. An Oklahoma team that lost to Kansas State and almost lost to Kansas State twice is the number three seed in the Big 12 tournament. It's Yes, it's competitive. Yes, you can have games that are going to go down to the wire, but just because K-State and Oklahoma State battle it out on a Wednesday night or you know uh, the Iowa State-Oklahoma State game might be good on Wednesday, that doesn't mean you know, this is a good conference top to bottom. It just means it's a lot of not very great teams, and at the top you have two elite teams. Well, let's turn our attention now to the Big 12 tournament. All 10 teams converge at Sprint Center in downtown Kansas City. We won't say what state. And it's always interesting. It's always fun. But what's really intriguing to me about this year, guys, is one of the defending Big 12 champs, Kansas State, is 10th in the seedings, and up until Saturday when they beat a bad Iowa State team, the Wildcats were dead in the water. Iowa State won 
the Big 12 tournament last year, and they are now dead in the water. They come in at the ninth seed, so things are a little bit shuffled in this conference. During the course of this podcast, we're going to cover all 10 teams. We'll break it all down, but this is a K-State podcast and with a lot of talk about Kansas and our friends over at the 24-7 site, bog.net. Uh, let's start with Kansas State, guys. Jay, how surprised were you with how well Kansas State played on Saturday and beating Iowa State so handily? You know, on one hand, I was really surprised. On the other hand, you know, I really wasn't. Iowa State's limping in. They had a, uh, they've had a lot of injuries and, and uh, weren't finishing the year really well. And Kansas State, I mean, for poor as the season has been, let's just call it what it was. It was a terrible year. They are not as bad as their record is. They they have more talent than a three-win conference team. Uh, it's just they can't get over the same problems that just seem to uh, come up and grab them game after game. The scoring droughts, the lack of execution. And so, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was happy for X to see him come in and, and hit shots and, and play free and, ju- and just go after it. So I think that shows you what, what K-State can be. I mean, I, I know Iowa State is kind of a wounded team right now, but at the same time, too, if K-State can make shots like that, um, they're going to be able to play with anyone. And I think they showed it against KU, too, is when they execute, the reason why KU was, uh, was having a hard time with K-State, um, especially in the first half, was K-State was executing. They got more easy baskets in the first half against KU than, than I can remember in a long time. And and when, when K-State executes, and it takes the time to um, be efficient offensively and set solid screens and move without the ball and make crisp passes, those little things that people don't think matter, they absolutely matter. And when K-State does that, they, they can they can be in games because they're going to be good defensively. They're going to keep teams in the low 60s, mid-60s. And if they can score, they've got a chance to beat somebody. So um, you know, on one hand, it was good to see. On the other hand, it was frustrating because you know, you know that that's been there all year. But you know it's a new year. It's conference season. It's postseason. And you walk into Kansas City with a winnable game against TCU. And then you line up against Baylor, a team that um, uh, you played well against uh, one time this year uh, at, at home, uh, and, and you and then you you see what happens after that. So it's 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 a favorable side of the bracket for K State. That's exactly where I was going with that, Jay. Is the fact that it was so yes, it was great to see. It was a fun game. Everybody enjoyed it, but. Goodness, man, this has been here all year. I'm not saying Xavier Sneed was going to score 31 points a game, but he definitely should have been more of an offensive threat than he was. And Levi Stockard had a great game. He should have been providing that type of spark off the bench all season. They got contributions from everybody, and that's what you wanted all year. That's what you knew they were capable of. And that's why everybody's been so mad and frustrated and just fed up with this team is because for 15 games this year, they didn't look anywhere close to that. But for three games, they looked pretty dang good, and you knew that they had the talent. They just never pieced it together. Kevin, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Kansas State. All three of us with you on this podcast have kind of been hip deep in the muck of a disappointing season for the Wildcats. As someone who's a little bit backed away from the swamp, what are your thoughts on Bruce Weber's team? You know, honestly, I, I thought Kansas State was going to be pretty good this year. And the, and when I say pretty good, you know, I don't mean a 25-win team or anything like that. But I thought they'd be sort of in that 7-8 spot, you know, which has traditionally been right on the NCAA tournament bubble. And, and my reasoning for that was, you know, I, I realized that, that Dean Wade and Barry Brown were so important to last year's team. But in college basketball, we're so used 
to seeing guys who are role players sort of take that next step. You know, I thought Xavier Seed would be a really nice number two, you know, based on what he had shown in various flashes. I thought Cartier Jada had star potential because I felt like at times he showed that star potential. And with the two guards sort of ahead of him, with Kim out Stokes as well, leaving you know, you, you were looking at a situation where all of a sudden, hey, the, the ball's going to be in this guy's hands. You know, K-State is going to need him to be star version uh, of Cartier Jot on a regular basis. You know, Moeen, I thought, was going to take a step forward as somebody who seemed to do fairly well, you know, when, whenever his number was called in the past. And, and you know, with the exception of, of Snead sort of playing, you know, as a very good number two, I think, which is what he was this year, except that he had to be K-State number one. The the rest of that didn't really pan out. You know, Jada didn't really take that next step up that, that I thought he was going to take. Moeen, you know, didn't, you know, you could argue that he even regressed a little bit. And I think, you know, Riley had such a great point when he was talking about how frustrating it was you know, watching when K-State was successful because it was easy to look at it and say, well, well, gosh, why, why wasn't that there more often? And something that Riley's talked about, I think, quite a bit this year that I find even more frustrating than just the general performance was K-State should have been a lot better defensively. Yeah this year you know that that's something that should have been there every single night you know the points you could understand looking at the lineup hey this maybe isn't going to be a roster that goes in and puts up 70 points every game sometimes it's going to get caught in the muck it's going to be pretty ugly but you felt like the defensive intensity and the way that they were able to defend that was something that could travel every single night and so for K-State, I think right now in Kempom, they're, they're 51st in adjusted defensive efficiency. For K-State to not even have a, a top 50 defense, you know, with, with the roster that they have, with the way they play defensively at times, I don't think it's a stretch to say, Fitz, that this is a group that, that probably should have had a top 25 defense, that should have come together. And, and you watch that second Kansas game, you know, in Manhattan and the way that they were able to swarm and defend Kansas and they were so motivated in that contest, you know, defensively and the way that they played in that game. That's the part that I felt like you should see every night. And that's the part that I was really frustrated watching this K-State team in particular that you didn't see that part every night. Jay, let's pick it up right there. Kansas State's defense did fall off. This Kansas State program under Bruce Weber, if it is giving up uh, mid-70s in points, certainly over 80, I don't care who they have. They're going to struggle to win. They're going to struggle to have enough offense to overcome that. And that's what we've seen quite a bit from this K-State team. Simply the other team scoring too many points for them to answer. Now, there's a couple things that go into that. They've got a lot of freshmen. It takes a while to adapt to this defense. A lot of moving parts there. Two, it's a lot easier to defend when the other team's taking the ball out of the net. Something the opposing team just isn't doing very often. And three, for me, they just haven't been locked in. I just don't think this team's been locked in on either end of the floor. They were Saturday. They were against West Virginia. They were at times early in the year. But for the most part this year, they just kind of go through the motions. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a story. Uh, my wife told me she was watching a practice one time in Manhattan when Frank was there. And, and somebody threw it away, and they went and dunked it on the other floor. And Frank took the ball and physically punted the ball up into the stands and, and told the kid, I'm sure, in a very – controlled, um, <laughs> polite manner um, that, that 
only Frank could do, that if you're going to do that, I would rather have you punt the ball, as I just did, as opposed to make that pass, because at least when you punt the ball, I have a chance to set my defense up. And so when you when you talk about um, points that K-State has allowed this year on defense, you got to go back, and one of the big problems is turnovers. You know, when, when, you're, when you're throwing passes away that people get into passing lanes and resulting in breakaway dunks or two-on-ones or and-ones and things like that, um, or even just increased possessions that um, that the other side's going to get, uh, you're going to give up more points. That's just math, and so that's one of the biggest problems that K State has had this year is is possessions on that. And, and the same thing goes with taking bad shots. You, you shoot a step back three with seven seconds to go on the shot clock that's guarded, and it uh, bangs out long, and all of a sudden the fast break is is started. It goes to the point you just said. If if, if you got to take the ball out of the net, that's a whole heck of a lot harder to score in a break situation than it is um, on a miss. And so I, I do think that there's been effort issues at times for K-State on defense and rebounding issues, particularly late. And, you know, who can blame the kids when you're in the middle of a 10-game losing streak? And, you know, I can see some of that. But to me, it's all intertwined, and it all goes down to execution, and uh, particularly on the offensive end, you know, throwing, throwing passes away or even just making a sloppy pass that hits someone in the knees and they have to bobble it. You know, that allows that – split second allows the defense to recover and and all of a sudden instead of having an, uh, an angle that you can take someone off the dribble or or create a mismatch you got someone locked up in front of you now and so those are things that that, that k-state their offensive struggles have just really bled on everything else um, throughout the year as, as as it's gone through and and you're absolutely right if, if they're going to give up 70 points a game they're not going to score 70 so they're probably going to lose that oklahoma state and iowa state will start the big 12 tournament on wednesday in Kansas. Kansas City with the 6 p.m. game, the 8-9 game. We expect Oklahoma State to win that probably. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. And then the night ends with TCU, the seventh seed, almost Oklahoma. We can get into that later. Against Kansas State at 8 p.m. Those games are on ESPNU. That is the Wednesday basically play-in games as they move into the main bracket of eight on Thursday. If Kansas State wins, it will play at six against Baylor. It's just Baylor. You know, just no probably a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. The other game will move in to play Kansas, which uh, good luck. Let's close out this Kansas State section by hearing from Bruce Weber on the Big 12 teleconference today. Our friend Kellis Robinette of the Kansas City Star, Wichita Eagle, asked him about his team playing with the sense of they have nothing to lose in a season in which they've only won 10 other games. Here's K-State coach Bruce Weber. I think there's a lot to lose. You, you, you know, you're done. And, and, you know, our whole thing is that, uh, you know, this is our last opportunity. You have a lot of dreams and hopes coming into the season. Uh, things didn't work out like we had hoped. And, and now you have one last opportunity, and you know, to step up and, and leave a little bit of a, a special legacy. So they had a, a positive game on Saturday. Obviously, Xavier played well. It was great for Pearson McAtee to come in and, and do some of that stuff. Levi played his butt off. Well, let us on to play hard 11. And and I thought our, our guards were very, very solid. So, you know, now can we, we match that and, and – you know, we're going to have to even play a little better because TCU is, is – Jamie's done a nice job with that group, and they've, they've won a lot of uh, tough, close games. Obviously, they lost the last one, and heartbreaker. And, you know, so, you know, we're just going to have to play at a, at a high level. 
Let's turn our attention now to the Kansas, the top seed. In the second half of this podcast, we'll cover the other eight Big 12 teams. Jay, let's get your thoughts right now. Is Kansas really by far and away the best team in this conference? Or is this a situation where they just had the the players and the plays and the coach to earn enough victories and hold off a really good Baylor team? I think that that when you factor everything from the head coach down to the players and um, just the it factor, I mean, yeah, Kansas didn't win the league last year, but let's be honest, Kansas still swings that biggest stick in the league. You know, they're gonna they're gonna come in with the club on their shoulder, and um, you got you got to take the pounding. You got to be able to guard Azubuke. You got to be able to stay in front of Dotson, uh, and you got to be able to um, outthink Bill Self. And those are those are things that are hard to do, and I thought that was really evident. Um, the game at Baylor, um, where I don't think Drew made any any real good adjustments from what self changed from the first time they played, and so I think overall um, KU is a little bit ahead of Baylor. I think Baylor has better shot makers. Um, uh, I think that they can uh, offensively they can get hot and they can outscore you, kind of like Auburn did uh, against KU in the NCAA tournament recently. And, uh, and it's just a matter of you know you can be good on offense, you can be good on defense, but if you're great on offense and you're just lights out cold from three-point range, you're going to be tough to beat. I think Baylor has the tendency to beat that a little bit more than Kansas does. But that conference championship, it gets shared if Baylor doesn't choke down the stretch. I mean, losing to TCU, even though it was on the road, I mean, that's borderline unacceptable if you're truly, you know, a number one team in the country like that. You literally controlled your own destiny. And, you know, the West Virginia loss was really, really bad. Um, and I think the West Virginia loss is just kind of a another a byproduct of losing that TCU game. It, that's another reason, going back to the point I was saying earlier about the coach of the year. I mean, Scott Drew choked down the stretch. Bill Self did not choke down the stretch. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for me. And so, look, Baylor was a really good team. And I think, you know, if they play KU 10 times, I don't think either team really has a stranglehold on the series. I mean, I think it would be pretty even, you know, maybe a six and four or something like that. But I just was not impressed with Baylor down the stretch, literally just gift wrapping the Big 12 to KU. Kevin, I believe Kansas can lose the only game they play in Kansas City, and the Jayhawks will still be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. It's been that definitive here down the stretch for the Jayhawks in terms of everyone else in the nation. But I also believe this KU team can kind of cruise to the title if if everything falls right. What team poses the biggest threat to stop Kansas from winning this tournament? You know, the easy answer is Baylor, uh, to just because Baylor is the second best team, or, or like Riley said, you know, sort of the co first, co best team in, in the conference. You know, Baylor had a lot of injuries down the stretch. You know, when you look at Macy O'Teague missing the time that he missed, you know, Mark Vidal was playing through some tendonitis and, you know, wasn't quite as explosive and, and dangerous as he was before and they they've had a, a few other guys you know Matthew Mayer I think missed a little bit of time at the end Tristan Clark right when that guy was starting to get going and that's the frustrating thing about it is you know he was playing at an all big 12 level last year and everybody picked him first team preseason all big 12 this year he's finally starting to get back it, it felt like and then he goes and gets hurt again and and Scott Drew said that he may uh he may be back for the for the NCAA tournament, but not the Big Twelve tournament. So you would you would seem to think that it would uh, it would be Baylor. Um, Oklahoma is another team. I think, uh, as weird as it sounds, that 
has kind of that puncher's chance. And, and I think while Kansas is obviously the, the favorite to leave Kansas City and, and win it all, Kansas had some really interesting choices because of, of what you what you mentioned, Fitz, in terms of if everything is locked up. You know, Kansas has had some, some injury issues of their own. You know, Marcus Garrett's been fighting ankle and foot injuries. Obviously, you guys saw Yudoka Azabuki sprain his ankle against Kansas State. He did, you know, return the, the next couple games and, and kind of wreck shot. But at the same time, do you really want to play three games in three days and potentially – you know, put more force on those guys. And then there's the Silvio DeSosa question. He's eligible now. And he was eligible against Texas Tech, didn't play a single minute in that game. And Bill Self said, well, we're we're not just going to pull minutes away from David McCormick to give them to Silvio DeSosa. But if you're in this kind of tournament and you don't want to wear your guys down and you're looking to, you know, potentially get your team ready for March, it, it might make a little bit of sense to, to kind of slide a few minutes Silvio DeSosa's way and see if you can get him to the point where you at least feel comfortable with him playing if there is some foul trouble that, that hits you Doug Azubuki and, uh, and David McCormick and so there are some questions there I don't know that Kansas is going to be operating at peak quote unquote efficiency or, or motivation or whatever you know because of all of that but while I do think Baylor probably has the best chance I, I think Oklahoma has matched up pretty well against West Virginia this year. And uh, and if the Sooners get to that game against Baylor, Baylor's still a little bit walking wounded. And Oklahoma played Baylor fairly close both of the times that they they played this year. You know, that's uh, Oklahoma's kind of that wild card, I feel like, that you could maybe circle and say this is a team that has a chance. I like Texas Tech if I had to pick a team. Um, you sure. know, we'll probably go a little bit deeper into Texas Tech after a bit, but you look at those two games that they played against KU, you know, the first one in Allen Fieldhouse, only a three-point loss to KU. Uh, the second one, a four-point loss. They were right there with KU twice. I know Texas Tech is riding a losing streak right now. They've lost their last four. They do not look like a team that is capable of doing this, but I like the way it sets up. They get that first game on Thursday, so, you know, they're going to have a lot of rest time if they win that game, and, you know, Texas is, you don't really know what Texas team you're going to get, whether you're going to get that hot team or you're going to get the team that just got raced uh, out of its own building by Oklahoma State. So I like Texas Tech's ability to to win that game against Texas, and I think it's far from decided, you know, that they would lose to Kansas when, whenever that matchup would come. That would probably be my pick if I had to pick one. Well, Kansas will play the second game of the first session on Thursday at Sprint Center. They will take on the winner of Oklahoma State and Iowa State at 1.30. Texas and Texas Tech will start the day at 11.30. Baylor will play the winner of the K-State TCU game. Then at 6, as we mentioned, in Oklahoma and West Virginia, the 3 and 6 seeds will wrap it up on Thursday night. Right after this break, we will talk about the other eight teams in this Big 12 tournament. It could get crazy in Kansas City, but as we go to break, let's hear from Bill Self about that win they pulled off at Texas Tech to seal up the championship. Probably the most times all year we've been on the floor after loose balls, and it seemed like to me we did get the majority of the 50-50 balls, but uh, uh, I've always felt our team was doing that for the most part. Not always, but I I felt that usually we we were uh, aggressive and competed in that nature, but I, I I think Saturday stood out to me in those two areas. Stay locked in. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. I will 
Who will bring you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC gig-powered studios. First of all, congratulations to Coach Self and his staff and players. They, they obviously did a heck of a job throughout the conference play. To go undefeated on the road in this league, uh, pretty hard to do. Uh, Coach Self probably has done it about eight or nine times now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the league is challenging. You know, every night you have a great coach uh, who has a collection of great players and, you know, got great environments all over the league. And so, yeah, it's hard to find consistent success because you have to adjust every night based off of who you play. You know, West Virginia plays much differently than TCU, for example. So, uh, and at night, on a night-in and night-out basis, you got to be ready to adapt your style of play a little bit to give yourself a chance to have success. But I do think going to the tournament, everybody will feel good. They'll be able to have some level of success against whoever they play. That was Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton talking about Kansas rolling to the Big 12 regular season title. Kansas enters this week's Big 12 tournament as the top seed. Oklahoma State in the 8-9 game on Wednesday. Winner will advance to play the Jayhawks. Tim Fitzgerald, Riley Gates, and Kevin Flaherty in the WTC Gig Parrot Studios here in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. A special edition of the Powercat Insiders podcast as we talk about the Big 12 tournament. In the first half, we did a lot on KU. Talked about K-State, where the Wildcats are heading into this tournament as a 10 seed. Let's turn our attention to the other eight teams and Kevin let's start off with Baylor I find Baylor really intriguing I I think it's a really good team it's like incredibly sound well put together they defend well they've got a rim protector they've got enough scores and yet I'm not overly passionate about Baylor some people are saying it's a final four team there's a lot of talk about Baylor being a number one seed they don't quite pass the eye test for me and I can't quite express why your thoughts Baylor is truly a team that, that is better than the sum of its parts. And those parts fit together so well, and everybody understands their role so well. And, and you know, they've been able to, you know, make changes and shifts even from what Scott Drew usually does. Certainly, obviously, the, the main thing everybody wants to point to is Baylor's a man-to-man team this year after, you know, so long a, a knowing that when you faced Baylor, you were going to go up against the zone team. But, you know, he, he's he been able to adapt to this team. I think the other thing that, that, that kind of hops out about this team to me, you know, and watching this team is that they very seldom fire on all cylinders on offense. And what I mean by that is, is they've got those four guards who, who are just tremendous and, they, you know, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell and, and you know, Macy Oteague and Devontae Bandu and, and all of those guys can score, but you very rarely see all four of them scoring together. You know, it, it feels like, hey, they're going to have a game against Oklahoma State. This is a game that Baylor, you would think, maybe has a chance to win by 15 or, or 20 points. And it winds up being a 10-point win, and you look in the box score at the end, and two of those four guards had good games, and two of those four guards scored. And on one hand, you look at it and you say, well, it's not necessarily a weakness because 
Baylor is maybe a little more recession proof than other teams because it can be a different guy every night. But at the same time, with the exception of maybe Jared Butler, there's not somebody that you circle on that team and you say, Hey, this guy is going to be there every single night. And he's going to be somebody that we have to account for every single night. Intriguing. All five of the top five players for Baylor were on the top three teams of the Big 12 team. If that's been done before, it could only possibly probably be Kansas in the Big 12 era. Butler was first team. Teague and Gillespie were second team. And then you have Mitchell and Vital and the third team. That in itself is pretty darn impressive. That just shows how much balance they have, Riley. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest things that, that, you know, you said a lot this season about Baylor, and we saw it firsthand, is that they don't have the guy that took over games. They didn't have the guy that absolutely blew you out of the water, but it was like this slow, suffocating game that Baylor would play. You'd feel like you're in the game, and then boom, just like that, you're down by 15 points, and you don't even know how it happened. Um, Now, of course, the, the second game that Kansas State played, against Baylor obviously they ran out and um, got out to a very quick lead that one uh, was a little bit of a of a different story but that's kind of the feel that Baylor gave everyone this year just that like I said the slow and suffocating thing it didn't pop off the sheet but you knew they were a really good all-around team and you know if somebody has an off night if, if Jared Butler just isn't there Maceo Teague picks it up and if if Teague doesn't have it Mark Votto might have a game and that's that's what's really good for you when you know obviously when when you have a complete team like that and, and somebody can afford to have an off night. Baylor was in, in control of this race for much of the season. And then Kansas got revenge, went to Waco and won. Then Baylor lost to TCU and concluded the regular season by losing Saturday at West Virginia. Here's Coach Scott Drew on the differences between his team when they win and lose. First and foremost, in the three losses, we've shot the ball poor. We haven't defended as well, and we missed free throws. And in close games, you're not going to win if uh, you don't do those three things. So uh, we got to get better ourselves. And uh, uh, like everybody in the league, when you get uh, to the finish line, uh, you're pretty banged up. And I know uh, this will be a good week for all of us to to get healthier and uh, hopefully uh, we can get back to playing like we were playing uh, when we had that winning streak. And when we, when we had the winning streak, a lot of times uh, you make free throws so you win close games, and now all of a sudden things are fine. Uh, so thus, we're, we're going to try to uh, get back to being able to execute a little bit better, uh, finish games a little bit better, and hopefully uh, uh, get some guys uh, rested. Kevin, is this an opportunity for Baylor just to hit the reset, forget those three losses down the stretch? And it's a postseason now, and everything's wide open, and this is a good Baylor team that we think will be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Sure, I think so. And it's a team that has a lot of sort of collective swagger to it. And I think that the loss to Kansas and the way that game went maybe punctured a little bit of that. And if Baylor does go on a run in this Big 12 tournament and does wind up winning the thing, and specifically if included in that, you know, Baylor winds up playing Kansas in the Big 12 title game and winning that game to go two of three, you would have to you would have to think that Baylor would enter the NCAA tournament sort of with that uh, with that bubble sort of sewn up, if you will, and with that that layer of swagger and confidence going forward that the Baylor had when they were beating everybody and they weren't losing to anyone. And I think uh, I think that Baylor team is incredibly dangerous. 
Indeed. Let's move on now. Baylor will play on Thursday at 6 p.m., and the Bears will play the winner of the TCU-Kansas State game. TCU is probably the team I find most confusing in this conference. I can't quite put my finger on the Frogs to say if they're a good or a bad team. Um, and they've beaten Kansas State twice, handled the Wildcats pretty easily this season. But at the same time, Riley Gates, I don't think it's a mismatch between these teams. I think this is a team that Kansas State can beat. Unfortunately, last time out in Fort Worth, TCU hit a ton of three-pointers and some circus three-pointers and just really made it a mismatch. Yeah, you know, they're 15 of 33 from the three-point line in that game. And no matter who you are, no matter who you're playing, if your opponent knocks down 15 outside shots, it's going to be really tough to win that game. Um, And the three-point shot is what makes TCU such a confusing team, I think, because they aren't significantly better than K-State. You know, on on paper, you look at them, it's like, okay, it's a a pretty even matchup. Uh, Actually, ESPN's BPI is giving K-State a 51% chance to win this game. And so it's kind of weird to think about, but you know, if they do catch fire, then K-State's not going to have a chance to beat them. But they just have that that up and down, um, you know, tendency to them. I think they have a lot of really nice players on this team. You know, I think Desmond Bain is obviously playing at, you know, a, a very high level. He gets first team all Big 12, obviously definitely uh, de- deserving of that honor. And they have a couple guys, uh, you know, like RJ Nimbrod, you know, he, I think he can go off and, and really kind of hurt K-State. But you're not always going to be totally consistent across the board i think if you're tcu you're always going to get a a bit of a wishy-washy performance and that's why i won't be shocked if k-state gets run out of the building and i won't be shocked if k-state wins the game it's an ideal situation for k-state because i don't think it's a team that's way out of their league they're going to have to get you know though uh, i think strong strong play down low um if you're k-state because i I do think that tcu has the ability as well um to go down there and, and and get some buckets down low kevin i give you the mighty task of unsorting the TCU Horn Frogs for me. What is this team about? I just don't get them. Riley hit it right on the head. It's that outside shot, you know. And you look at TCU's last four games, which you know included the the win over Baylor and included you know a sort of a close call in, in Lawrence actually, you know. And TCU led in the in the second half of that game. In all four of of those last games, TCU won, hit at least nine three pointers. They hit double digit three pointers in three of those four. And they shot better than 40% from three in each of those four games. And so when TCU is hitting three-point shots, and and like Riley said, the Kansas game was a lot like that Kansas State game where it's, hey, the the shot clock's ticking down, the defense is pretty good, contest the three-point shot, and oh my gosh, the guy just made it anyway. And so when TCU is in that you know, realm when, when they're shooting like that, uh, I think they be, they become a pretty dangerous team. The flip side of that is that, you know, when, when the shots aren't quite falling at that rate or, or you're able to contest. And I think, you know, when you look at K-State's best defensive efforts this year, K-State has done a good job of swarming around it and getting out on shooters when, when they're locked in. You know, I, I think that, that there is a very real chance that, say, TCU, you know, instead of shooting at that clip, they make 33% of their three-pointers. And if they do that, then K-State's got a great chance to move on to the next round. The biggest problem with K-State typically is deep three-pointers. When teams start consistently hitting those, it breaks K-State's ability to adjust defensively. The rotations get out of whack because they're so spread out. And that's really why TCU has given Kansas State a lot of problems. 
but nothing sums up TCU better probably than that second half against Oklahoma. They had the game one. They're up by 20. They're on their way to, what, a five seed. Oklahoma's going to be the seven seed. And Oklahoma somehow comes back on Saturday in Fort Worth, hits a bunch of three-pointers, and then hits a running shot there at the end or a nice little jump shot to get a one-point win. Switching the Sooners from the seven seed to the three seed. In summary, the Big 12 right there. <laughs> uh, that one basket can do that. Boy, that was a, a weird, weird thing to watch. I hung on to the end. I kept thinking... Maybe Oklahoma will do it, and they ended up doing it. And here's Jamie Dixon, TCU coach, on how the Frogs keep hurting themselves. We have gotten better. I think we've gotten better offensively down the stretch here the last two weeks. Um, what we've got to do is, is the, some of these other things that keep uh, hurting us, and, and foul trouble is one of them. We can't continue to be in foul trouble, and then uh, putting guys on foul line, and then uh, and then you know giving up threes when we give up threes from you know one half. We've seen it from game to game, but we saw from one half to another half in the last game. So um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I do. I think we've uh, you know we we fought. We were a team that's you know picked a. Class and you know could have finished uh, just winning that game, finished out in the second half, could have finished you know, anywhere from uh, enough things. We went into the weekend thinking fifth, just uh, some a couple things had fallen our way, but we didn't get it done. TCU could go on a run. They've proven they can beat Baylor. They've proven they can beat Kansas State. They get into that semifinals. They're going to run against vulnerable teams from Oklahoma and West Virginia. This side of the bracket, the night bracket, to me, Kevin is just wide open. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it's a lot of fun because of all the different ways that, that this thing could could wind up going. You know, Oklahoma has matched up well with West Virginia so far this year, and yet West Virginia is coming off its best game of the season. You know, in beating uh, in beating Baylor the way that West Virginia did the game before that, West Virginia actually won a road game, which I think is something that you get to mark off your bingo square if that happens this year. <laughs> so. You know, West Virginia is starting to play a little bit better and yet still wound up, you know, at the number six seed. Oklahoma winds up at a three. You've got Baylor, you know, who, like Riley said, that they aren't quite at operating at peak efficiency just yet uh, right now. And then you've got a TCU team that could match up with Baylor there if TCU gets by K-State that recently beat Baylor. And so it really is, you know, sort of the half that has all these different wild card scenarios where, where things could go any number of ways and you wouldn't really be too terribly shocked at any of them. Let's wind up that nighttime bracket right now, and let's get to that 8 p.m. game on Thursday at Sprint Center. It's Oklahoma and West Virginia. Riley, if you'd asked me about a month ago, would you be surprised if Oklahoma and West Virginia played in this game, that game six of the bracket? I would have said no. West Virginia will be the three seed, and Oklahoma will be the six seed. <laughs> they are reversed. Oklahoma played its way up to the third seed. West Virginia, with a late-season slide, ends up the six seed. This is a coin toss game, Riley. I can't figure it out i don't know this is going to be a really fun nightcap to the tournament and in the quarterfinals yeah i mean i i definitely think that uh it's one of those games that could go either way and you wouldn't be shocked to see the six win oklahoma being the three is just so weird to me because i never once watched oklahoma this year and went wow that's a really good team that's going to push at the top of the conference but like you said the bottom half the nightcaps of those games it's so open even baylor isn't a, an unbeatable team and so that's why i think it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out of it i still think west virginia is a really good team 
I don't understand how they, you know, struggled as much as they did this season. Um, you know, I get that they, they were very inconsistent at times. They weren't very good away from from Morgantown, but they have two of the best big men. You know, in the Big 12 and in the entire country, I think, um, in Derek Culver and Oscar DeShibwe. So I really think you could see West Virginia turn it on. We know that Bob Huggins is a good coach um, in, in the postseason specifically, and I think he has a lot of talent on this team. So we'll just kind of see how those play out. I, if West Virginia gets past Oklahoma, I think they could pull an upset and maybe beat Baylor if that's the way that the bracket played out. But if Oklahoma made it and beat West Virginia, I, I'm not as confident um, as I would be in West Virginia. And that's what's really weird to me is that I'm more confident in the six seed beating the two than I am in, in the three seed beating the two. Kevin, West Virginia was dead in the water, probably moved itself onto the bubble. Keep in mind when the NCAA announced its first you know, top 16 seeds, West Virginia was on a two line and they're backing down towards the bubble now because they've been so putrid. Then they beat Baylor on Saturday. Bob Huggins pulls it together as he does and gets a little bit of momentum going into this game with Oklahoma. How do you break down this game? You know, I, I think that Oklahoma represents a really weird matchup for West Virginia in that, you know, most teams try to, to counter those bigs that Riley talked about by going big themselves because they just they can't deal with, with just getting owned on the glass, and that's what winds up happening. But Oklahoma kind of goes the other way, and, you know, Brady Manick is so comfortable playing away from the basket on offense, and, and so is Christian Doolittle. And you look at both of those games, I know it's going to sound crazy to say, but Oklahoma beat West Virginia by 10-plus points both times they played this year. And the reason why, I think, is because of that that matchup. You know, West Virginia is not necessarily equipped to play all of those guys away from the basket on the other end. And so the way that Oklahoma is able to spread West Virginia out, most teams just aren't aren't able to do that. And it's it's kind of funny, though. You know, Riley was, was talking about, you know, West Virginia and feeling like they're a really good team and, and about to make the jump and it feels like they've been stuck on that for two or three months, right? I mean, you, you had a you had them coming off, you know, the Ohio State win that they got, and, and you said, man, you know, the the freshman guard uh, McBride was so good in that game, and you were saying at that time, man, if if West Virginia gets that level of guard play, this team is going to be really tough to beat, and yet here we are, you know, in March heading into the Big Twelve tournament, and you're saying, man. If West Virginia can get that level of guard play, they're going to be really tough to beat. And so it's kind of funny just the way that that worked out. I think all of us who looked at that team and saw the young guards on that team felt like they were going to maybe round into form and improve it. And West Virginia was going to be that two seed or, or three seed type team in the NCAA tournament. And it just, it never quite happened for whatever reason, West Virginia is swimming sort of in the same current it was back in December. And while that's still a dangerous team and a team that can be pretty good on, on different nights, it also means that West Virginia is sitting here at the six seed as opposed to the three seed where Oklahoma's at. This tournament will start at 6 p.m. on Wednesday when Oklahoma State plays Iowa State. Guys, if I had to reseed this tournament, uh, the Tim seedings, uh, of course, Kansas would be one. Baylor would be two. They've earned it over the season. The Bears have. And Oklahoma State might be my three with the way the Cowboys are playing right now. I think they are the third best team heading into this 
tournament, and yet they played so miserably at the start of the Big 12 schedule. They were good in the non-conference that they are the eighth seed and have to earn their way into the bracket, earn their way into playing Kansas, which doesn't work out exactly great for the Jayhawks that they get a team as an eight seed that's playing so well. What changed, Kevin, about these Cowboys for Coach Mike Boynton? You know, it's tough to really put your finger on one thing. You know, I, it's it's funny because, you know, the, the game against Oklahoma almost seemed like a throwaway when it happened, when Oklahoma State, you know, just absolutely put it on Oklahoma, won by, like, I think, like 17 points. And it was one of those games that was so wild and seemed so out of context that you're just kind of sitting there and saying, oh, okay, I guess Oklahoma just didn't didn't come to play. And then, you know, the very next game, you know, Kansas beats Oklahoma State by, uh, by quite a bit at Allen Fieldhouse. Not that that's any sort of shock. And you left it as, you know, maybe a one-off type thing, except that then Oklahoma State kept winning, you know, and, and beat Iowa State, then, you know, beat K-State, and then went on the road to a Texas team, and that was another game that kind of seemed almost a little bit like a throwaway and that you're sitting there saying, well, Texas needs this win. They're on the bubble, and yet it didn't seem like like Texas showed up with with sort of the energy or, or anything that you would have expected in that situation and got run off the court. I think it was 20 to 3, you know, in, in the first few minutes, and it didn't get closer. And so it's hard to look at it from that perspective and and say, okay, here's the button that he pushed or, or here's where the improvement came from because you have two games like that against Texas and Oklahoma. The other two wins are over K-State and Iowa State where you say, well, they're both in Stillwater. You know, maybe Oklahoma State should win those games. And so it, it's tough to, to really circle one thing. I will say they've had – a couple games where they where they've shot pretty well, and they shot well against Texas, sort of at, at you know both levels, both inside and outside the arc. But at the same time, it, it's tough to it's tough to kind of look at it and, and say this is this is where the change came in because it was so sort of sudden and so abrupt. For me, it's it's Isaac Likely. You know, obviously a guy that missed a lot of time due to his injury early in the season. And then when Oklahoma State opens up Big 12 play at 0-6, you know, they're they're having Likely on the floor, sure, but he's, you know, 16%, 27%, 28%. He was playing just terribly um you know he had a couple big games but they were low percentage of shooting and then you go look at their schedule when did they start winning when likely became way more efficient he's you know 40 percent 50 percent he's he's only been below uh 30 percent twice in big 12 plays since they started winning those games again um and so yeah i mean i think it, it definitely was going to hinge around him uh to to really start this season Obviously, they took quite a hit by losing him for a significant period of time, and it really kind of rocked their team. But they're healthy now. Uh, they're getting good contributions from everybody all around, and they're really starting to hit their shots. And when, this is probably one of the most dangerous teams. You know, TCU obviously leads the, the conference in three-point shooting. We talked about them earlier. But when this team gets going and they're having a good shooting day, they might be one of the most dangerous teams in, in the Big 12. And it's too bad that Oklahoma State, 
did fall down to the eight line and you know they got to face Kansas if they win this game against Iowa State on Wednesday because Kansas is a buzzsaw I think that they are definitely going to be able to beat Oklahoma State but I think if Oklahoma State faced any other team in this bracket we could see them make a run towards Saturday I would agree with that here is coach Mike Boynton on how well his team is playing I think obviously you always want your team playing good this time of year. You know, I think we've done that here in the last month or so. Um, but like I told our guys, you know, our momentum only carries you as long as your, your preparation is, is consistent. And, you know, for the most part, that's why we've had success consistently is because we've prepared consistently well. And that's what we have to do the next couple of days because, you know, everybody goes into the conference tournament pretty much with the same things at stake. You know, some of us may have to play more games than others, but that's part of the deal. Uh, you got to continue to prepare well and know what your opponent's going to do to try to take advantage of you. And if we do that, I feel good that we can play well on Wednesday night against Iowa State. Well, Iowa State won the Dead in the Water Bowl against Kansas State by losing to the Wildcats. The Cyclones are really dead in the water right now. They just need this season to get over as they go into Oklahoma State. On uh, Wednesday rally, they were the Cyclones were just far worse than I imagined. I know they have injuries, but they were just not interested in that game at all. Yeah, you know, losing Tyrese Halliburton is is the big blow of the year. Um, that's a guy that's playing at a lottery pick level, and then boom, he goes down against Kansas State, and it just um, obviously takes the wind out of their sails there pretty much. They, they did win, you know, without him. They looked a little bit better at times right after the injury, but then they kind of fell apart. And then, of course, that Kansas State game uh, on Saturday, you, you lose Bolton, too, and now you don't really have a point guard that you can rely on because Halliburton was running it a lot. Bolton took over, and, and what do you got after that? Well, we saw that they don't have anything down low, so they lost all of their big men play pretty much, um, even though it was minimal to start. And then when you lose two two guys that really kind of handled the offense and, and maneuvered it, that's really just going to throw your team in, into a loop and you know, they, they probably, after that second injury, uh, I don't know if they're going to have Bolton back. He's still questionable. But after that second injury, they probably said this is this is kind of it. You know, that really pretty much puts the sales our hopes out. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think they stand much of a chance against Oklahoma State. I think this will be a really quick exit for Iowa State. A team with a lot of talent, a team that I think, you know, could have been a little bit higher seed at this point but once those injuries start piling up you're just you're pretty much going to mail it in Kevin this might be the most important question I ask on this podcast if Iowa State gets bounced in game one will those Cyclone fans stick around in Kansas City and treat it like Cancun like they typically do and stick around a party last year was easy they were playing in the championship this year they might be gone at the end of the first game of the bracket you know, I, I don't think they'll still fill up Sprint Center, but I still think that uh, if one were to uh, head to Kelly's to partake a little bit, there would uh, there, there would be some uh, some scavengers there still uh, still attacking the bar and and probably you know for the next month or so you know as they as they lose track of time in Kansas City, but <laughs> but no, it's. Uh, it's such one of the reasons I think the Big 12 tournament has been such a huge success. You know, people 
a lot of people want to talk about it as, you know, it's Allen Fieldhouse, you know, East or whatever, because Sprint Center is so close to Kansas. But with the way K-State fans have traveled, you know, when K-State has been good and has had a chance at that thing, with the way Iowa State fans travel, that's just something you don't see. And you're probably not going to see if the tournament does wind up going to, to Oklahoma City or Dallas, you know, where, where it used to be. And so it, it is a little bit of a shame this year and from a basketball standpoint with with Iowa State likely going out on that first night just because it can really make for some fun, you know, second and third and even championship games when, uh, when Iowa State does wind up making it there, even when Iowa State hasn't really had a, a quote unquote special team. I think they've still, uh, they've still come out and really supported their team at a high level. Well, I, I'm not going to discourage any bar owner from ordering lots of Bush light to have it on hand because Loaded they'll probably up. stick around. Um, it's supposed to be fairly nice weather in Kansas city and it'll be even nicer weather. I think from the forecast on Thursday, when this thing gets going with the quarterfinals again, like the three, six game, I am not surprised Texas and Texas tech are playing the four or five game. I am surprised Texas is the four and tech is the five. Kevin explain Texas. They got their hair has been lit on fire playing as well as anyone in this conference. And then they just lay the, you know what, at home against Oklahoma state on Saturday and end the regular season with the loss and probably keep themselves on the bubble and maybe on the wrong side of the bubble. Texas is a hundred percent the weirdest team in the conference. And I, I don't even, I don't, I don't even think it's close. And like you said, there, there have been some strange things in this conference, but you, you watch some of their games in the middle of the Big 12 season, and it, it felt like, you know, the one guy that Texas had was, who was sort of a legitimate presence that kept them in games was Jericho Sims because of the way that guy, you know, jumped around and altered shots and, you know, battled for, battled for stuff on the glass and you lose Jericho Sims, you know, Matt Coleman gets banged up. They have, you know, a, a few other little injuries and, and knocks in there as well. And next thing you know, Shaka Smart's having to play all these, uh, all these really young guys and, and, you know, freshmen who weren't really playing as much before then. And, you know, Royce Ham, who had always kind of been a guy who was, who was just a guy all of a sudden was having to play a bunch more, you know, Jace Febris got hurt and, and all of that was there. And you say, okay, Texas's season is done, except that those young guys kind of, you know, built in this influx of energy. You know, it was like giving the team batteries, you know, when you unplugged them and Texas, all of a sudden, you know, went from a team that you felt like was underachieving relative to its talent level to a team that was overachieving and was playing hard and was getting to loose balls. And when you look at when Shaka smart has typically had his most success, it's been with those kinds of teams. And that's, one of the reasons, and this is probably a really long discussion for another day, but it's one of the reasons a lot of people don't understand why he never brought Havoc over to Texas. You know, I understand there are some recruiting reasons there and things like that, but you look at the success that West Virginia had being pressed Virginia in the Big 12 and think about the fact that Texas could have done that maybe not with five stars, but with a better caliber athlete and recruit than what West Virginia was doing it with. It feels like that would have been a pathway to success for Texas. And yet 
you know, never really ran havoc. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you're putting these young guys out there. They're still not running havoc, but those guys are playing like their hair's on fire. And so all of a sudden Texas, you know, starts kind of scrapping and, and getting itself into situations and winning some close games. They got a couple nice bounces. Obviously the, the Oklahoma game comes to mind where, you know, Oklahoma misses, I think, three out of four free throws in the final seconds. And then Matt Coleman, you know, banks in a three-pointer that was exceptionally well-guarded to, to win that game. But then all of that said, Fitz, you brought the thing sort of full circle. Then Texas looked like it just didn't even want to be on the court against Oklahoma State. And it didn't come out with any motivation didn't really challenge at all after that. You know, there was never really a point where you watched it and said, okay, yes, Texas is down 18, but, but here comes the run. The run never really came. And, and so all of a sudden Texas enters this big 12 tournament. And, you know, to be frank with you, we have no idea what Texas team we're even going to get, you know, is it going to be the team that, that flew around and, you know, played with its hair on fire or is it going to be a team that's, it's going to make for a pretty quick and easy lunch for Texas Tech. It could be either one. One of the things that I think a lot of people kind of said, uh, you know, once those injuries happen, once some things change for Texas, that it kind of sounds funny, comes off as a pretty big insult to Shaka Smart at times, but he had so much talent, and it seemed like at times he was overcoaching things. He was thinking way too much about it, rather than just letting his guys go play basketball. Um, you know, maybe, maybe micromanaging would be a good word to use here, but it, once once he loses some guys, the bench is a little bit thinner. A lot of those decisions are taken out of his hands, um, and and he's left with just kind of what he has. Hey, go play, go try to win the game. And I think that that you know had a little bit to do with this stretch here. Now, do I think that they're going to be able to piece together a similar run through Kansas City? Not necessarily. I mean, I think they're going to have their hands full against Texas Tech, and, and I will probably will pick Texas Tech in that game. But I think it's a team that played their way back into an NCAA tournament picture, obviously. Shaka Smart's job is probably saved. I mean, it was it was a foregone conclusion that he was fired until they started ripping off all those wins and getting back into the picture. So we'll just kind of see what happens down here at the stretch. I mean, maybe if they get if they just get absolutely waxed by Texas Tech on Thursday, then yeah, you could still see uh, maybe a, a coaching change coming. But it definitely feels like he'll be back again next year. Well, Texas has been up and down and up, and then they were certainly down on Saturday against Oklahoma State. Here's Shaka Smart on his team. Team needing to focus on the task at hand. The way our guys have played of late, uh, you know, excluding Saturday's game, uh, we've certainly played like an NCAA tournament team. Our guys have had that kind of fight and that kind of, um, you know, aggressiveness on the floor. Um, but, you know, as we've always talked about before, it's it's all relative to everyone else around the country. And, you know, we have, as long as we're still playing uh, in the conference tournament, we have the opportunity to, um, you know, show who we are and, and play well and improve our standing. And so that's where our focus needs to be, not, not so much on, um, you know, trying to guess where people think that we are. Let's wrap up this discussion of the Big 12 tournament this week in Kansas City with Texas Tech. They come in as a five seed. We're talking about a team that made it to the NCAA championship last year. 
And honestly, Kevin, this is really where I thought they would be at season start. I thought this was probably a middle of the conference type of team, but then they started to play above that for much of the year, and I thought they would be a 3 4 seed. They kind of come in right now with a bunch of close losses. They're good enough to stay in most games, but they've lost too many games. Some people think they're on the bubble. I, I would put them in just because of the. You know, the status of the program right now, maybe into Dayton with that first four that I hate so much. What are your thoughts on the Red Raiders for Coach Chris Beard? Well, I know you were saying Oklahoma State might be your three if you were seeding, right. you know, basically based on the eye test. I think for me that would be Texas Tech. Uh, and the reason, the, the reason why is Texas Tech has played some really good basketball and not been rewarded for it. You know, Texas Tech played two close games with Baylor, lost them both. Played two close games with Kansas, lost them both. Took Kentucky to overtime, lost in overtime. And so this is a team that I feel like, you know, like you're saying, I I think they're in as of right now. Uh, Obviously, things can change. Automatic, you know, bids can go different places, et cetera. I did see one bracket that had them as a – as a first four team. And I think Texas tech would be absolutely terrifying for a team as a first four team. But if you were asking me based on the big 12 teams, which team has the best chance to make an NCAA tournament run outside of Kansas or Baylor, I might pick Texas tech. You know, this is a team that I think defends pretty well. You know, they aren't as elite defensively as they were a year ago, but I mean, a year ago they were, you know, I think they had the best adjusted defensive efficiency in Kempom history, which dates back to 2001, 2002. So not being as good as that is not necessarily an insult. But the other thing is, is they put lineups on the floor when they have Chris Clark out there, Davide Moretti, um, TJ Holyfield, uh, Jemias Ramsey, and then Kyler Edwards. And those guys play together. They have this really weird thing where every single one of those five players has made 40% or better of their three point shots in a college season before. Now they aren't all hitting over 40% this year, but at the same time, the ability for Texas tech to one defend you and two, to be able to put out lineups like that, that can spread you out where everybody theoretically can shoot from distance. I think makes Texas tech a really unique matchup and a tough team for teams to prepare for that aren't used to facing the red Raiders. And so Texas tech does have a chance. I agree with Riley. Texas tech does have a chance that, Hey, if they get by that first game against Texas, you know, all bets are off against Kansas in that next game. But I think even beyond that, when you're projecting Texas tech into the NCAA tournament, this is a team that it wouldn't surprise me a bit to see them make a sweet 16 run just because of how unique they are. And I think they're, better team than what their record indicates well and i think bill self aside i think chris beard is the the best coach in the big 12 and i think he has the ability to really kind of scheme up some things you mentioned kevin those those close games there with kansas and and that's what gives me a little bit of confidence in texas tech even if they draw kansas on friday in that semifinal game you know i wouldn't count them out of it um and then the ncaa tournament is as we all know it's all about getting hot at the right time uh you mentioned the first four potential right there and you know vcu was that in that first four game a few a while back and 
and uh, they made quite a run out of that slot. It's a team that comes out of there that gets really, really hot, um, and, and that's what I see in Texas Tech. I think they have the players. I think they have the coach. They just haven't pieced it together. I thought you put it perfectly by saying you know, they haven't been rewarded for playing good basketball, and we really could see this team turn it on. I definitely think if they get in the NCAA tournament, they're a second-weekend team, um, unless they just draw a, a, a terrible matchup somewhere. But uh, definitely a deadly team, definitely a team that I think is better than the being the fifth seed in the Big 12 tournament and one that you should really keep your eye on if you're wanting a big upset here down the stretch. Well, let's wrap this thing up by talking about the bracket real quick. Do we all feel Texas Tech will beat Texas in that first game on Thursday? I do. I do, too. Kevin? Yep, I think so. And Kansas will advance over Oklahoma State, I assume? Yeah. We, yep. We're all assuming Oklahoma State beats an Iowa State team that doesn't look like it's got much left. That would move Texas Tech and Kansas into a very intriguing semifinal because, as you said, Kevin, just a second ago, they played the Jayhawks tough both times. They just haven't got it over the hump. No matter who Baylor plays, I think they will advance into the semifinals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma-West Virginia, probably the most intriguing game, I think. The best matchup of that second day, the quarterfinals. It'll end at 8 p.m. What's everyone think about that game? I I just don't know if Oklahoma has the bigs to really keep up with, with West Virginia getting off the glass and things like that. Um, now, I've I've been flying the banner all year for, for Deshibwe and Culver, and it's bitten yep. me a lot. Um, you know, they, they played terrible in Manhattan, and I told everybody they were going to play really, really well against K-State. So, I egg on my face there. But I, I really think this is a game where those guys come alive, um, and I, I like West Virginia. Kevin, will this be an interior or perimeter game? Because that decides it for me. If it's an interior game, West Virginia wins. If it's about three points shooting, Oklahoma wins. Well, I think they're they're each going to try to make it. You know what what makes them special. The the thing that I think, and I think a lot of times when you look at the way the Big Twelve tournament plays out, uh, teams that aren't necessarily used to playing there. Uh, with the possible exception of Iowa State, which always seems to go thermonuclear at Sprint Center, is a lot of times teams don't necessarily shoot all that well there. And I think, you know, in a game uh, like the uh, like the Oklahoma West Virginia game, I think West Virginia's offensive rebounding, even though Oklahoma won the the two previous matchups and won both of them by ten or more points, I just think the third matchup, I think, you know, that advantage on the glass is going to be more valuable than Oklahoma's potential shooting advantage. So I do think West Virginia gets by there, but I think that Oklahoma would maybe have the better shot to beat Baylor out of the two teams coming through. Very intriguing because I pick West Virginia too. I think this game will be about you know the physicality we see quite a bit in the Big 12 tournament, and that's advantage West Virginia. We just advanced not the top four seeds, but probably would who have been the top four teams in this conference for most of the season in Texas Tech, Kansas, Baylor, and West Virginia. Who wins this thing, Riley? The entire tournament, I, I just think Kansas, until somebody shows me that they can have a plan out there to stop them. Now, I do think Texas Tech probably has a great chance, and I think if that's the game that sets up on Friday, I think you're in for a heck of a, a battle, and I would give Texas Tech a really good chance, but there's just not a team on here that's shown me they can beat Kansas in, in a situation like this. I know Baylor beat them earlier this year, but I just think Kansas has the players to, to really outrun anybody in this bracket. Kevin, who wins this? 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's Kansas, but I also agree with Riley in that I think Texas Tech may have the best chance to beat Kansas uh, out of all the teams in the bracket, and that includes Baylor, even with you know Baylor's win earlier this season. I think Texas Tech catches Kansas kind of in that that weird mode, you know, in the in the semifinal. You know, a lot of wild things can kind of happen in that game, whereas. I think, you know, if Kansas and Baylor, you know, do both make it to that title game, you know, any thoughts of Kansas kind of taking it easy or trying to rotate minutes through or whatever else goes out the window. And at that point, you know, it becomes a game where there's a lot of intensity and a lot of hostility. And I would like Kansas in that game. Very interesting, guys. I, too, think Kansas will win. My sleeper here out of those four is West Virginia, simply being because if West Virginia gets to play its game, it's really the only team in this conference that has the bigs to match up with Kansas. And maybe they can sneak up and and get something done in the finals, and they are on the bubble. Hugs is a marvelous coach. Hasn't always shown that in Kansas City, but maybe this is his year. But I'm with you. This is KU's tournament. As long as KU does what KU can do, the Jayhawks are clearly the best team in the Big 12 this season. Well, guys, it's been fun. I'm glad we did this. This was really uh, comprehensive for this Big 12 tournament. And, of course, Kansas City, it all starts on Wednesday with Oklahoma State and Iowa State and TCU and K-State playing at Sprint Center. We will be there for Go Powercat, and Kevin will be there throughout the tournament, I would imagine. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to Jay Heidrich for joining us in the first half of this podcast before going off and doing other adult things like a real job. (laughs) Uh, Kevin Flaherty from 24-7 Sports, thank you much for your insight. Riley Gates, Tim Fitzgerald, this has been a special edition of the Powercat Insiders podcast, a Big 12 basketball edition. You've been listening to the Powercat Insiders podcast presented by Commerce Bank. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.